welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. If you are newer to Oak Hills and you're wondering what are we about, what you just heard is what we're about and what I hope we continue to be about in the lives of all of us and many others that deep, real work would happen and restoration and healing would occur. So thank you, Monique, for being with us and for sharing with us. It's extremely powerful. If you would stand for the scripture reading today, it comes from Second Peter. You can see the page number on the screen. I'm going to read verses 3 through 11. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, Love, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Jesus, thank you for Monique, for Stephanie, for the deep work that is happening there, for the witness that they both are, and we celebrate the good things you're doing there. And I am grateful, uh, and we are grateful, Jesus, that you are gentle and humble in heart. And when we come to you, we find rest for our souls. Continue to pray that for us individually and for our church community, that your gentleness and your humility would become our heart. And as we open ourselves to your word today, form us in these ways and speak to us deeply. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week we talked about God's inexhaustible love as the starting point of our life with him, the culture of divine goodness and divine love as kind of the essence of our relationship with him. And in all of this talk of growth and movement and becoming more like him, we cannot lose or leave the fact that the the crucial part of it is this culture of love, this sense of God's inexhaustible and immeasurable love for us. And our desire to do what he says flows and grows easily when we realize his commands, his teachings, the Bible are ultimately for our good. And they free us to be the people we were created to be. So there is no better place to be and there's no better way to live than in the flow of God's love and in the grace of his goodness. And as I said, that's what we dug into a bit last week. So growth in the Christian life is to be the norm, not the exception. And 
I don't say that as some sort of pressure point or, okay, get with it or anything like that, but it just makes sense, and it was all over the verses we just read, that growth in the Christian life is to be the norm because, over time, God actually changes us if we let him. So who I am today, as you stand here and see me up here, who I am today, my character, what fuels me, what drives me, what I think about, how I respond, etc. Over time, my character should be different than it was a year, two, three, whatever ago. And in the passage we just read, Peter says, the power of God through the presence of his Holy Spirit gives us everything we need to live an eternal kind of life right now. Now that is just mind-blowing. That he gives us everything we need to live an eternal kind of life right now. Everything we need for a godly life. This eternal kind of life is not circumstance-dependent. It does not require a lot of money. It doesn't require even a fully functioning body. An eternal kind of life stays the course when another world power floats a balloon over our airspace and a mysterious object is shot down over Alaska. An eternal kind of life stays the course. Through the Holy Spirit, Peter says, we have everything we need to live an eternal kind of life right now and the circumstances, the situation, what we're facing, it, it is, does not change that. And it makes sense that eternal beings like you and I are would be growing in our experience of an eternal kind of life. It just is rational. Eternal beings like you and I are made to live eternally. Dallas Willard used to say just about every time he stood in front of a group of people, he would say, you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. Another mind blow. He wrote that on a whiteboard at the beginning of a class I was taking with him back in the summer of 2000. The class is a two-week class, but it could have ended right after he wrote that on the board in the first five minutes because the statement just absolutely knocked me over. You are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. I believed it when I read it, but I wasn't sure I actually believed it. I've come back to this many times over and over again through the years because the statement has a way of putting our lives in perspective. It has a way of reframing literally everything. In verse 4 of what I read out of Second Peter, he says that through God's initiative and promises, we can, and here's his phrase, participate in the divine nature. Yet another mind blow. God's life, God's character can be formed in our lives and in our character. His life, his truth, his goodness, his gentleness, his humility can reach and renovate the deepest parts of our being. And again, I would suggest this is the norm for God's people. The Chronicles of Narnia, some of you are familiar with that. It's a series of books by C.S. Lewis about a magical world called Narnia. And in the final scene of the last book, the characters in the story have just entered through this portal into a fuller experience of the wonderful world 
of Narnia, and they're in absolute awe of it. At first, they kind of move tentatively like we do when we're in a different sort of place, unsure of where they are, unsure of whether or not it's all real. But soon, every character is sprinting as fast as they can. They just can't get enough of the experience. And the more they see, the more they want to see. Occasionally, they stop and they absorb the beauty that's right in front of them. But then someone shouts this phrase, further up and further in. And they run deeper into the land of Narnia. And the further they go, the richer the experience, every step more exquisite than the previous one. And finally, the unicorn expresses what they're all feeling. He says, and I quote here, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. This is Lewis's attempt to describe the abundant goodness of eternal life. And I love the refrain of the characters further up and further in. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving. It gets better with every step, so let's take another step further up and further in. And for the past several weeks, we've been talking about this land we have been looking for our whole lives. The kingdom of God, or as we have been saying it in here, the eternal kind of life. Eternal qualities being formed and fashioned into our will, into our minds, into our bodies, relationships, and souls. So we start to live now like we are already in heaven. That's what this series has been about. Living now like we're already in heaven. And in our passage, Peter urges us to keep going and keep growing and move further up and further into this eternal kind of life. He says in verse 5, To us, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our lord jesus christ in a word peter says grow and keep growing In the past several weeks, if you've been here, we've been talking about these different stages of Christian growth. And today we're talking about what Willard calls pervasive inner transformation. That's not Bible on the brain. That's not behavior modification in the body. That's not gritting our teeth and trying hard to do the right thing. But deep, pervasive change in our inner world. Now, I said this already. I'm going to say it again. Nobody needs another sermon to keep growing. Nobody does. We could spend the next five years reflecting on this phrase from Second Peter. That his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. If you, for some reason, end up stranded on a desert island this afternoon and we don't see you for five years... Probably won't happen, but if it does, just think about that phrase. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You'll miss the Super Bowl on that stranded island, but if you have that, you'll have a lot to think about for five years. And as it would happen, as you can already tell, I've been a bit under the weather this week, and the batteries in my voice are probably going to run out before the words are all said. And when they run out, uh, that's kind of just it. 
I'm going to just stop. Somebody said earlier, I love this idea. Maybe the second service would just show the video of the first service and be done with it. So I've tried to limit what I'm going to say today, knowing that I don't have many words in me this morning. But when I'm finished, and this is far more important than anything I'm going to say, when we're finished or when I'm finished, we're going to have another chance for all of us to spend some time interacting with Jesus and inviting God's spirit to stir and move and speak to us. The thing about this series that's most important to me is that it not be thought of as a series that's just preaching sermons, but that it actually land on us. So we're going to give hopefully ample, ample space to interact with Jesus, to invite the Holy Spirit to stir and move and speak to us. Deep interchange is Holy Spirit guided work. So as I go through this, be thinking about what he's been saying to you in recent days, where he might be stirring in you, where he might be inviting you further up and further in, and we'll have a time of response when I'm finished. Pervasive inner transformation is about character change. And today I want us to think about a few areas of our inner world that resist this character change. These are places where we might be stuck or our growth is blocked and where God might need to do some deeper healing for us to grow. But I want to say before we get into this, in all three of these areas, pervasive inner transformation is possible because God's divine power has given us everything we need for an eternal kind of life. So I'm going to say what all three of them are in case I can't talk in about five minutes, then at least we'll have them out there. And then I'll try to wade into them just a little bit. So three areas where we resist change or places where we might be stuck or our growth is blocked. An old wound, an old habit, or an old grudge. First, an old wound. One of the most frequent conversations I have with people, and this has been true for all the years I've been a pastor, has to do with some experience or situation or relationship, often from early in their lives, that profoundly wounded them. Words spoken to us that damaged how we think about ourselves, our self-perception. You're not good enough. If only you would have, thank you. If only you would have blank, then you would be what you should be. Why can't you be more like so-and-so? Maybe a brother or sister gets a name there. Or an experience that marked us and wounded us, like a divorce of our parents or a death of someone we cared about. Or unspoken words that we needed to hear, but we didn't hear. And the silence distorted our self-perception, an old wound. It's remarkable how things that happened so long ago continue to echo and continue to sting. In my experience, most of us have an old wound or two. Just the phrase itself might even bring something up in you. And sometimes these old wounds, as we know, end up fueling some of our desires and pursuits and sins and troubles. There's a reason why people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s can still recall what seems like some obscure event from so long ago, and the pain is still fresh. It's because these things stick. We aren't machines. 
we have souls. And when things are damaging, they stick to a soul. And these old wounds oftentimes end up creating false narratives about God, about love, about the world, about who we are, about whether or not we matter. And these false narratives stick in our thoughts, in our feelings, and in our desires. And thoughts, feelings, and desires are what the Bible calls our mind. Thoughts, feelings, desires, images, ideas are all included in what the Bible calls our mind. And these false narratives get carved into our mind and they end up shaping our actions and our reactions. And in time, they become auto actions and auto reactions because we don't have to think about them. But the roots of these reactions and responses is often a narrative in our mind that was at least partially written by an old wound. So for me, in my journey, in my life, defensiveness has often been an auto-response that is ultimately rooted in an old wound. Defensiveness is a real gift of grace, just as an FYI. It really is, because defensiveness is such a doorway of self-discovery and God-discovery. Defensiveness is nearly an infallible sign that something deep within us needs the Spirit's touch. So if you're getting defensive about me talking about defensiveness, that's a door to pull open. Here's the thing. Becoming a Christian does not magically or instantly change our false narratives or heal our old wounds. God's Spirit can certainly accomplish characterological miracles, boom, it's healed. But typically, it leads us through a process of slow healing if we want to go there. The Spirit's work in us through his promptings, through his voice, through other people, sometimes through intensive counseling, always with prayer at the base of it, rewrites our narratives and gradually heals our own old wounds if we want to go there. And you know, and I do, it's hard to go there. But the problem with not going there is that these things affect us. And they especially affect our closest relationships. The fears and the insecurities we have in those close relationships are often symptoms of old wounds. And obviously the goal here today is not to fix or heal or any of that stuff. That's not possible these old wounds, merely to point out they might be in us. They might have us stuck. They might be a barrier. And if they are, these old wounds, I assure you, don't stay hidden. They leak out and they affect us. And if the response is, I don't think they affect me, then the next step is to go to those closest to you and say, do you think those old wounds affect me? Be ready for the answer. Pervasive inner transformation of these old wounds is possible because of God's power. Obviously, it's a process. It takes time. But our role, as Peter said over and over again, is to invite him and keep inviting him. So that's an, an old wound. Secondly, an old habit might be in the way. Peter says in verse 6 that one of the marks of growth is self-control. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 12 says... Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, 
evil desires, and greed. Rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Do not lie to each other. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is kind of a flyover of the deep work the Spirit wants to accomplish within us. And I imagine we can all find something on that list to consider. It seems to me most of us have a most favorite sin or two or ten. And for the Spirit to do His pervasive, transforming work... We have to face reality about ourselves, not to wallow in guilt, not to beat ourselves with shame, but to face the old ways and habits that still live in our bodies and automatically flow out of us without having to think about it. I would suggest to you that the spirit wants to move into the roots of those embedded responses and sins and reactions and pervasively transform us so his nature becomes our nature. Again, that's rather mind-blowing. This isn't surface-level behavior modification, though behavior will change. This isn't trying hard to stop doing certain things, though trying hard to stop doing certain things might be a good place to start. We're talking, though, about cooperating with God's Spirit to transform, to change an old embedded habit. So here's a few of them that tend to encompass most of us. Anger, lust, worry, control, fear. And all of the responses and actions that are carried by those five things. Anger, lust, worry, control, fear. Learned responses when these things don't go our way. Or when someone implies we aren't enough. We started the habits of anger, lust, worry, control, and fear a long time ago. And we have practiced these responses for so many years. They have literally become embedded into our will and embedded into our body. Let me put it this way. We train ourselves to be angry, lustful, worrisome, controlling, and afraid. These things don't just happen to us. We train ourselves to be this way because a long time ago, when certain things happen, we defaulted into these things thinking they were going to give us something they're incapable of giving, but we did it so many times it's become ingrained in us. Underneath the responses of anger, lust, worry, control, and fear, there's likely some kind of false narrative that's been carved into our soul. And we read it as our narrative, but it is a false narrative. It's not true. But if the narrative can change, then the behavior will change because the one feeds the other. This is a incredibly important biblical teaching. Jesus says in Matthew 12, out of the overflow of the heart, the will, the inner place, the mouth speaks, which means what's within comes out. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember what we said about mind a few minutes ago. That is when your thoughts and your feelings and your desires and the images and ideas that fill your mind. In other words, when your narrative changes, then you will change. And again, it takes work, time, 
cooperation with the Spirit. It takes a community of people. But do we want to go further up and further in with regard to an old habit? Last one that can get in the way is an old grudge. Colossians 3.13 has often rattled me. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And here's the part that I wish I had a bottle of white out so I could take it out. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive those who hurt me the way God forgives me. I am sure I can't do that in my own power. Now, don't raise your hand, but I'm going to ask a question here. Who in here has an embedded unforgiveness towards someone who harmed or abandoned or rejected them or otherwise did not live up to the role they had in our lives? I'd be willing to bet some Super Bowl money more than a few of us would have our hands raised if we were raising our hands. As I know, and maybe you know, wounded people wound others. And I don't want to minimize the old wounds that we have or suggest we should or ought to forgive out of duty or obligation. Saying the word, I forgive, doesn't mean we have. I can remember when Sam was a little kid and, you know, whatever rendition of tormenting his sisters he was in. And, you know, you finally get him and he's done whatever. And you say, tell him you're sorry. Say you're sorry. I'm sorry. Well, that doesn't probably mean he's actually sorry. It means he avoided the punishment of what he did because he said he was sorry. But saying the words, I forgive, doesn't mean we have. The Bible seems really clear to me on this. Forgiving is better than unforgiving. Better in all sorts of ways, but in one way, it's better for us. Forgiving, forgiveness is an eternal quality. It is part of the divine nature to forgive. Remember what Peter says, participate in the divine nature. As God's power sculpts God's nature into us, it seems to me, we will increasingly want to forgive others. We can't do this on our own. Since we have received such amazing grace and forgiveness from a perfectly holy God, why would we not invite his spirit to lead us into the process of forgiving those who have sinned against us? It's not a one-to-one. It's not easy. It's a process. It takes time. When we talk about forgiveness, we're talking about releasing the pain. We're talking about surrendering this to Jesus. We're talking about setting aside revenge, setting aside retaliation, and maybe most of all, setting aside the unforgiveness, which keeps us from relationship. And I realize in some cases, forgiveness is not going to happen on this side of eternity. And I realize in some cases, even if there is forgiveness, it should not move us toward relationship with certain people. I get that. But releasing the pain, surrendering it to Jesus, and setting aside revenge and retaliation are qualities of an eternal kind of life. And forgiveness is better than unforgiveness. Forgiveness is better than bitterness. 
pervasive inner transformation, not by our own power, but by the power of the one who lives in us. Peter again, his divine power has given us everything we need to live an eternal kind of life right now. So band, you guys can come up at this point. We're going to move into a time of response. We've been rooting around in this topic and in this series for several weeks now. We've been digging at things that are not just, oh, change this behavior. We've been digging at things that have to do with change us. And we talk about a wound or a habit or a grudge. We are now down deep where the only chance is for the Spirit of God to bring pervasive inner transformation. The gospel, in other words, seeping into our inner world and renovating us. So going to enter into a time, this is for you to be with God and to be with each other. A chance to reflect, a chance to pray, a chance to worship, a chance to think about, and I would urge you to do this, Think about the specifics of an old wound you have. Think about the particulars of an old habit that you find difficult to shake. Think about the names and faces of an old grudge, someone, that you just have had trouble forgiving. And in this time, we just want to invite God's Spirit into these things as we continue to seek to move further up and further in. Up in the front here are two baskets, and inside of these baskets are green rubber bracelets to put on our wrists. And the reason that we opted to have these today is because green is a color that represents new, new life, things growing. And if you want to make it real kind of short and sweet, green with a G as a reminder to go and live new. When you see that bracelet or feel it, go and live new. Entering into a situation, go and live new. I want to encourage you to, at some point during this time, come up and get one and wear it through Lent all the way through this next series. And it'll make sense why, based on what we're going to do in the next series. But these bracelets are about Let's go and live new. Let's move further up and further in by choosing the way of Christ and putting off the old way. Now, I will tell you, our original plan was to separate these things where we had a kid size in one and the adult size in the other. But plans are made to be broken. So that's how it worked out. So as you grab one, If you have a larger wrist, you might want to check. There's definitely two distinct sizes, so get one that fits. There's plenty in there for children as well if you want to get them one, and that might be a good thing to talk about of how do we live new in our family. I also want to mention in the back there are stations. I think there's three of them, one back there, there, and there. I would hope, I would encourage you to spend some time reflecting And to kind of go back there, there's a prompt about an old wound, an old habit, an old grudge. And maybe you take some time just to write something down and then bring it forward into our kind of our prayer box. And then you can take one of these green bracelets. So if I could ask you to close your eyes.
wasn't sure if I wanted to mention this, but it's possible as well that there's a relationship in this room where forgiveness needs to happen. I'm not silly enough to think that that happens in the snap of a finger, but maybe the next step can happen through prayer, moving toward the person, however God leads you. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your presence. We're grateful that your kingdom is near in and through your Holy Spirit. We're grateful you are not far away in some distant place called heaven, but you inhabit the heavens that are right around us in this space right now. And I know many here today, myself included, when I think of a wound, a habit, or a grudge, I don't have to think too long before there are things there. So stir in us as we worship you, as we reflect on your presence with us. Would your Holy Spirit move in this place? Speak to us. Bring healing in the deep places and help us move further up and further in. We pray this in Jesus' name.